0: My guest on Talk Design today is Davin Burkhardt. Now, Davin's from Roxbox, and Roxbox is a specialized container company, and that's probably not going to give enough away just yet, but like shipping container company. And these guys specialize globally and throughout America. In what they can do to create environments with containers. So, Davin, welcome to Talk Design, man.
1: Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about building all kinds of stuff out of shipping containers or what I call them big steel Legos is what how we <laughs> big look.
0: steel Legos. I like that. That's a really good description. Yeah. A really cool description. So let's do a little runway so that the listeners can go, okay, well, you know, how did you get to this point? And obviously the company's, you know, more than a few people now. Yeah. And and you've got like these different different projects all over. So I'd love to like get a bit of runway on how you got to here to start with.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So basically we started this company almost a decade ago now, back before it was cool, before it was, you know, out there and TV shows about it. And basically started with just buying and selling shipping containers. And we needed uh, my buddy Anthony. And he needed a couple to store some gear in um, yeah. here in Colorado. We have a lot of toys. And so, you know, he looked to purchase one and it's kind of an arduous process and realized there was maybe an opportunity for us to enter the market. And we entered and basically took that. And then as I came on and, and was looking at the container as potentially a building block, and we saw that as an opportunity and then built our first project was a bar we built a bar out of a shipping container (laughs) was that a Um, private
0: project just one for home
1: (laughs) (laughs) i had to do some r d had to make sure that you know we knew what we're doing most people don't
0: get past that first project when it's a bar (laughs) yeah they're just still sitting in it
1: (laughs) yeah so you know to be honest started in a dirt lot Mm -hmm. and and built uh, built a, a container bar with, with some insights from some other people in the industry, in the bar industry, in the brewery industry. And here in Colorado, you know it's, it's the it's, mecca of, of craft beer yeah. and beer in general. So we had a lot of really good inputs and insights from people in the industry. And we kind of looked at that and said, wow, that was really a great use case for utilizing these building blocks. And at that time, it was still really new and a lot of pushback from different building departments and different officials of, of utilizing a recycled material and a, you know, an old shipping container, right? An old uh, thing in the ocean for a decade. Trying to
0: make it meet codes and stuff like that. I imagine city, city ordinances and
1: exactly a lot of, a lot of side eyes. Like, Oh, you can't do that. And so, but, you know, we we kind of, and we're kind of doing both shipping containers and building stuff out of them for a while. And then really in the last five years have pivoted to to really just building all kinds of different things out of shipping containers, whether that's, you know, our food and beverage, a single unit, like it still builds yep. a lot of the bars still a really popular model for us. And up put to now, you know, now we're building huge structures out of multiple containers put together to create beautiful, large structures. So really has evolved as... The understanding of building with shipping containers has evolved, and now we've seen a lot more regulations. Now the shipping container is a part of the 2021 International Building Code, the IBC, which is kind of the Bible for wow. okay, that's to cool. the country and the world, really, right? Yeah. International Building Code, and so chapter 31 of the 2021 IBCs identifies the shipping container as an acceptable building material which is a huge adva- advancement for the industry in general and really solidifies the shipping container as, so be- as something that you can build with.
0: Before it was that before it was you know recognized that way did you yeah. have to work through each city like we call it a council but each city's planning department to be yeah. able to utilize them even if somebody just wanted one in their backyard or no.
1: Yeah, no, it's still it's still a bit huge hurdle, right? I'm not going to discount the mm-hmm. fact that it's still a huge pain point both for us and our clients and, you know, doing all the necessary paperwork, all the architecture, uh-huh. structural engineering, mechanical, electrical, plumbing, engineering, creating a stamped document, it's called a construction drawing set or mm-hmm. CD set stamped mm-hmm. those codes yep. in that city. Still, still part of our process, still something we have to do. But now it's, instead of getting those a lot of those questions from building apartments have become a lot more accepted, right? And so we, yeah, can, sure, that's we, you're not at, the first. It's not the right. first rodeo yep. anymore. There's, and, yeah, and, and to that point, there's a lot of other projects that, whether by us or others, there's what and and how I see that is. You know, there's I have competitors in our space, right? But sure. I see it as a, more of a coopetition type mentality. Uh-huh. I'm more interested in having product, shipping container projects come to fruition and have things being built out of them because it's a rising tide, right? The more projects out there that are built out of shipping containers, is the better for the whole industry. So more focused on that, and and we're seeing a lot more. Solid, solid, being things being solidified within the industry around code and code compliance and building departments yeah, right. and departments. And at the very at the end of it, we're just a modular manufacturer. So modular manufacturing at the heart of it is just building something af- off-site at our factory, yep. having it inspected at our factory and building it to the site and putting together those modules or that single module. And you can have module manufacturing be out of steel or out of wood. We just so happen to use a shipping container as our yeah. module. Just so,
0: it, it's a prefabricated shape and, yeah. and size and it trucks to a place and that's nothing new. I mean, there's, but the difference is, is that you're using a steel structure and it's yeah. a shipping container. So it's often repurposed as it always, or do you buy brand new as well?
1: Well, we only use, what's utilized. what's called one-trip containers. They are new as you can get, but they've made one trip over from majority of shipping containers are manufactured in China. So yep. they have made one trip and they are technically upcycled because they have made that one trip. Uh-huh. Certainly, they're not a 15-year-old shipping container that's had a, a long life. But as part of the 2021 20, IBC that says that a shipping container can't be older than four years old to utilize in uh, the construction right. project inherently means a new container. So we're yep. pretty keen on only utilizing those for a lot of reasons but yeah the the driving factor being the the code compliance and and to your point a lot some people don't realize that that needs to happen or or maybe choose uh-huh. not to, you know, go with that route cuz they're going to put it in their backyard and they understand the risk that's associated with that for us it's a really important it's really about safety right so last thing i would want to happen is some disaster or something to happen in somebody's backyard and you know, it not go through a building department, and that there can be a lot of legal and negative ramifications from that. So, we'd rather spend a little bit more time and money on the front end to make sure these structures are legal and code yes. compliant. Yeah. That's what we're talking about, right? Is making yeah. it a little bit Yeah, 100%. Um, and that it, we feel like is a pretty important thing. Well, to you're
0: protecting them and yourselves, you know, but you're protecting your client as well at that point because they don't need something that puts them at risk. Sure. And you guys don't need anything that puts you at risk because right. then that, that affects the a the business model, but it ultimately affects humans, you know, like, and yeah, we want to only see. affect them positively.
1: So tell we me this. We want to do it legit, right? We want yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. You know, seen as this is the proper way to do this, this is the proper way to build stuff. And so we follow that path just because we're building our a shipping container doesn't mean we don't have to follow the rules. that are often not, it's like an extra lens with the shipping container project. Yeah. Not like, oh, it's just a shipping container. Do whatever you want. It's like whoa, whoa, whoa! You're still building a structure. You're still putting this, you know, down. You have to follow the rules.
0: I I think there's this there's this this thought pattern that is that you don't when you're just re- repurposing something. I certainly have seen it here in Australia, where people are like, oh, it's just a shipping container, you know, like and it's like you know, there's still. There's still rules and regulations as to where it's positioned and how it has oh, yeah. to be fitted out. One of my biggest questions around sort of like the shipping container thing is: is so these things are steel boxes, right? Yeah. You're in Colorado. Yeah. How, how do you how do you survive a winter with one, and then yeah. how do you survive a hot summer with one? What's the what do you guys do that? Uh, and I've seen various different things done here, but how do you how do you approach this?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a it's a real and fair concern, right? The the there's big value to having a steel metal box, and there's drawbacks from mm-hmm. it. And one of the drawbacks is the temperature differentiation, the the deltas between the, the outside and the inside. So it's really a, all about the insulation, creating a vapor barrier, really sealing these in, and and you know we still have to meet the same insulation same code. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same code, same R values. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter that we're building a shipping container or not, but we do often think about you know things like that. You know, temperature, you think about well, should I really paint this container black? I don't know if that's really the right (laughs) color. a black like, steel box in a really hot yeah, area. Yeah, uh, or we paint the, paint the roof, you know, white with the special kind of paint that has a little R value and deflection. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I was going to um,
0: ask about you know, that. UV yeah.
1: ray, or something like yeah. that. But it's always a part of the analysis on any project. Mm-hmm. You know, what is the optimal design and installation stuff? And what can we do to make sure that this project's successful? I'm so when, about when you get a client
0: who does turn around and go, hey, you know, I, I do want my container black. Which because it's a, I suppose, seen as being an industrial component, whether it is, whether it's treated that way or not, it's another story, but because it's seen as being one originally, a lot of people like things like that in black, you know, like kind of meets the aesthetic they're looking for. So then you get to a a hot zone and you go, so then you've just got to over insulate internally because you don't really want to add anything to the outside of it, do you?
1: Not, not especially. We can, we have done SIP panels and and kind of some kind of exterior wall systems yep. insulated out instead of insulating in, which can be a benefit. Especially, you think about, you know, we talked a little about well, what are the negative drawbacks of a shipping container. It's eight feet wide and twenty or forty feet long. That's so right. There There's means- not a whole lot.
0: Not a whole lot of wits yeah. to take out.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it is a challenging from a design perspective. It presents a challenge to our designers, other designers. Mm-hmm. Of Okay, I have to think within this box, literally, yeah. of, you know, these dimensional constraints, which can be challenging from a design standpoint and just from a use case standpoint and a code compliance standpoint from wits and aisle wits, especially when you talk about kitchens. And especially like that, if you're going
0: commercial. Get away commercial with a bit more and... RISD, ADA, the yeah. about
1: yeah. disabilities acts, like having those, mm-hmm. you know, walkthroughs and all those things. Those are all things that we and our architects and engineers and everybody on our team are thinking through and have to as we submit these plans. They're going to give us red lines and tell us we got to do all that stuff. So we're obviously our experience, you know, precipitates the need to address all that stuff as much as possible before we submit. And then, you know, yeah, I love that.
0: I love that. Back. And so you've got the the heat issue obviously, but you've also got the cold issue. And so again, is the insulation system necessarily for hot and cold dramatically different?
1: No, no, it's okay. not it's really accomplishing the same thing. The things we think about is like, you know, we're building cold storage units, whether uh-huh. that's our HBS line of solar power, cold storage, or we're doing, you know, walk-in cooler in a bar. That's a a thing that we're going to pay extra attention to of like, well, okay, that, that we're really trying to keep that part of this container, this metal box cold. Yeah. So let's think about X. We probably need to do a little extra insulation there. If we're painting this container black and it's, you know, needs to be cold in that part of of the unit. So all those things we think through, and it is kind of a, it's not necessarily an exact science The R value, obviously is an exact science, but some of those calculations around, well, what is the, what is the heat going to do to this black box? Yeah, You know, it's almost experience we have to lean on to tell us, well, yeah, okay, what are we going to do or what can we do? And it's typically a, just a conversation with a client of like, okay, do you really need it to be black? Or <laughs> gray, okay. Because gray might be better for this part of it at least. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Or parts yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, I have seen a couple done where they've got like a standoff, wall kind of you know on the outside so they've got an air gap and then they've green planted this outside piece of wall so they've got water filtering through this piece as well and then they've got on the other they've got this air gap and then the containers there and let them lined inside so insulation probably mainly to the inside and then yeah and then the green wall giving it some protection otherwise I've seen we, we use one in a project here in a place called Toowoomba and it was my first experience. It wasn't my first experience of trying to design with one. It was my, I'd tried that before. It was my first experience of actually putting one into a residence. So yeah. we had a house, which was on a very slopy block, almost to the point of, you know, we've got slope slope yep. stabilities and all these things like you yeah. guys would as well. But we had a a, a, a pond area at the bottom of, this block, or well, not the bottom of the block, but as the block went down, there was a roadway or a driveway that went across and then that created a pond on this side. And then it keeps on going down a gully, all in the bush. So we built quite a big square boxy house, which is actually a fair bit of its black. And Toowoomba gets hot and Toowoomba gets cold. So it does both. But it was in the bush under the gum trees. And he has, or well, they have three sons. And with their three sons, they all love to play music and you know drums and all this kind of Mm -hmm. stuff so the house is essentially three stories but it's kind of like one up here which is bedrooms and that looks over the roof of the next piece which is all living and then there's garaging and stuff down the bottom so I took a 40 footer and just stuck it out on an angle and supported it on the end just on the Mm -hmm. end and Mm -hmm. stuck it out on an angle and so that it gives the effect it's not quite there but it gives the effect of cantilevering over the pond and then we put a deck on top of it so Mm. when you're upstairs in the house and you walk out of by the kitchen and stuff you've got this long eight foot wide deck that goes down and looks over the pond as well And then uh, we put obviously windows and stuff in it and some big doors. And so you come from downstairs, you actually leave inside the house, you're still undercover, open it up. And then you've got all their band equipment and stuff like that. Some windows looking out into the bush and some windows looking into the pond. And upstairs you've created a decking, which is like this, I suppose gangplank or walkway decking that takes you into a little separate zone. And I saw it for the first time, Oh, probably about a year ago, I started a, another project out there and I hadn't been and seen the house completed, but it's sensational. Like it works so yeah. well. And we used a, I say we, Matt, the owner, he he actually bought a bit of a beat up old shipping container. He didn't want anything new. So it wasn't like a first shipping. It would have yeah. been, yeah, well into it, well into it. So yeah. yes, and then stripped it all out and stuff. But it's all still looks like you've just plonked a shipping container there with this very slick black house in the bush and then you've got this shipping container sticking out from it but I didn't um I didn't have to go
1: overboard I'm sure for you it was an interesting experience like I know for us we there's a big difference between modeling something out in the computer and building one in real life and the amount that we learn or teach other people we work with around that of you know, even the simple, t- simple task of putting two together, very simple in the computer, right? Oh, yeah, they just go together like that. But that is a much different calculation in the real world. And so, so- that,
0: that's one of my biggest warnings that I was given when I played around with doing another project with shipping containers. I knew that I was likely to have some issues with our local council. Just going, poor, oh, we don't want that shipping container thing there. So then my first thing was is how do I do it all so it's compliant, not don't ask for any relaxations so that they don't know it's a shipping container just or it's shipping containers to start with, you know what's my way of approaching the project so that I get a, not get away with it, but so I can create it. And this one we haven't we didn't do in the end, but I, I built model shipping containers. That's the first thing I did. And then started moving, not on the computer, and in, in cardboard, and then mm-hmm. started moving those around to create what what shapes and how I could make things sit on top of each other and all those kind of pieces.
1: I have some 3D models and I get to have me- business meetings with, what I say, big Legos. And I yeah, have- exactly. Big Legos big when you said it before. I'm like- and, yeah, I got to stack them up and have business meetings with Legos. And that makes yeah. me quite happy. but it's it's tricky right it's it's a lot more than i think some people realize some people you know maybe see something on youtube or or something of that nature and like oh i can do that and it's like well can you yeah (laughs) have you ever built anything like have you ever dealt with a building department do you really know what goes into building anything because i i build stuff and it's still really hard for us we do it every day exactly
0: it's what you do and it's still tricky i
1: think that conversation you're smart to bring it up early and often with the locals because there's a lot of different ways to pitch your project to really yeah. planning and zoning team of any kind of you know city or or whatnot you can approach it from the sustainability angle really they're maybe they're really keen on sustainability and you know that you want to focus on that look at i'm upcycling all these boxes yep. you know at the bare least you can come at it with the durability or you know you look at your you know your home turf, Christchurch, Christ New Zealand, it's all yeah. shipping containers, right? And yeah. they, I think Christchurch, yeah. yeah. It was it was really a response to the earthquake there, and it was a, it was a need thing. It wasn't really a. And they, oh, we they were stacking the shipping thing.
0: containers, not for people to use, but to protect things from falling down into the streets So that if they crumbled right. and stuff, that that would stop it spilling out onto the sidewalk. So they just used shipping containers as walls. As well as then they created bars and cafes and you know, yeah everything yeah. else
1: yeah. But that but that whole project and initiative didn't come from somebody being like I want to use shipping containers and it's all sustainable. It came from a response to a disaster. Mm-hmm. They had to ship a bunch of stuff with shipping containers and they're like, "Well, crap, let's use these Legos and just build this stuff out of them." And that yeah. then more people be like, "Oh, this is." a defining characteristic of our community now. And let's keep that, you know, you know, mentality and, and I uh, like that, which is beautiful. As you say,
0: it started as a response. And then from being a response, it actually ended up being part of the character and the culture of the city. And Christchurch is a cool, I was born in Christchurch. It's a cool, vibrant town like that. Like, and it's a, If you looked in you know New Zealand and you went, well, as a major city, it's probably one of the most consistent, staid, conservative cities. It's got mm. some beautiful architecture, some beautiful landscapes and stuff around it. But that response shifted all that as well. It just uh, you're gonna get a new city out of a big earthquake like that, so then it just shifted the whole thing, yeah, pretty fascinating
1: and it goes to this conversation around. One of the big values of utilizing shipping containers is thinking about it from a disaster relief standpoint, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. thinking about why are we building communities that are destroyed by natural disasters with same building materials that's going to get destroyed by another natural disaster. So waiting that's waiting for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's a hurricane where we're building, you know, stick houses again after uh-huh. a hurricane wipes and it's like why or a fire or that uh-huh. gets burned down and you build more stick things it's like these steel boxes have, are great for those types of solutions yeah to that right it's like okay well let's build a bunch of steel stuff the boxes this, you can weld to the ground that it's going to get loud in a hurricane but you know they're but not going to get it likely
0: to be still there at the end of it it's not going to be moving down the street yeah
1: the structure will be there when it's Mm. all said and done yeah we'll probably have to replace some windows and and get it but you're not rebuilding from scratch and i think that's that's the conversation i'm trying to have with a lot of people in a lot of different coastal cities and it's even fire too you look at california or even here in colorado we have a lot of a lot of wildfires and way
0: too in australia
1: yeah just just thinking about the mentality around that as as a society of like well. Let's look at rebuilding in a sustainable way. And sustainability around that, to me, is a conversation about durability. Mm-hmm. Let's rebuild in a way we're using a building material. It could be shipping containers. It could be concrete. There's a, there's a couple options there, right? But
0: Big the difference is- between shipping containers and concrete, though. One has to be sure. from a batching plant sure. or something. It has to be trucked in. And it has to probably be pumped on site to make it happen. A shipping container, sure, it's got to be trucked in, but it's craned off. And yeah, there's foundations and stuff that have to be put down, but a lot less permanent footprint on the land as well. Well, you know,
1: yeah. I mean, one of the big things that developers look at it from a standpoint of even if even if it's permanent, uh-huh, you can uh-huh. still unhook this from the foundation, hook uh-huh. it from the utilities and take it away. I've Whether got a, one I've module got or a, several, you know. Got a friend
0: a friend here in Australia and she's a developer. And so she develops you know, like multi-res community projects. Yeah. And when I say multi-res, maybe six or seven sort of places at once. And one of her things that she taught me really early on with this was she, the sticks. You know, they're built out of out of timber for the mm-hmm. most part. Mm-hmm. But she sets up all her projects. So she keeps her projects. By the way, she builds them and holds onto them. Yes. But what she sets up is all her projects so that they are on truckable sizes. So they're built on site, but everything, so there'll be a double joist or whatever it needs Mm -hmm. to be and double plates in the wall so that can be disconnected at this point and trucked away. And I said to her, how come? And she goes, well, in my lifetime, that land's going to probably triple in value. And she goes, I don't need an old building on valuable land. Right. I can take an old building out and put it on less valuable land somewhere else and house a community or you know create community some housing. And I can redevelop that better site that's closer to the city or whatever that's gone up in value with a more upscaled project each time. So I might do this three times, but I'm never throwing away the buildings that I started with.
1: Right. You're not, yeah. I mean, that's at, at the base you're talking about one of the biggest value propositions of modular construction. She's choosing to do a wood frame modular. Yeah. We choose to use a, a steel, a steel frame yep. module, but in, in the heart of it, it's another term is volumetric construction, right? Uh-huh. Thinking about building in modules offsite and then bringing those modules to create a larger volume, you yeah. know, your space and, and then being able to take that away. And then, you know, that, that's hugely advantageous when you think about a lot of different reasons, but financially, in the end, the developer is going to look at the numbers, and you know the, that's a huge number of yeah. conversation around that, and hugely, you know, appealing to a lot of people because of that. Being mm-hmm. able to, like you said, not you you invest in a in a brick and mortar on a property, it's there, it's gone, it's it's done there. Cough, yep. you're done, right? Yep. There it is, yep. it's it's it has gone. You've developed that property, especially you think about, you know, somebody who maybe doesn't own the land, uh-huh. and. You know, is putting something on there. It's like, whoa, do I really want to invest in somebody else's land and build up theirs? Or do I want to invest in something that I can take with me when I'm when I leave in five years? It's It's yeah,
0: exactly. It's like being able to roll up a rug and walk out the door with it rather than carpeting the house. Right. You know, like is that you might you might spend less or more on a rug, but the rug isn't a permanent fixture to the house. It's yours, it's your furniture. So yeah, treating land as if it's you know, like a space and then being able to come and go from it with your structure if needed. I think there's a lot of value in that, especially, you know, like say, for instance, we have the Olympics coming in 10 years time to this zone where we live. And if you look at that, we will be, we've already got a housing shortage, we will have a a bigger housing shortage, even in those 10 years, we probably can't build enough for what's going to be required. And with that, you go, okay, so what could we be doing, you know, with a rocks box, What could it be happening here that has the expertise? Because one of the things again, and with all these, with all these things is, is having the right experts that
2: make,
0: that make the process seamless and that the government, or when I say government, this, the state officials and the building codes and stuff can actually work with, because there's history in it. Tell me a bit about, your helios containers as well because i know that's a bit of a type with an australian company yeah. Uh, yeah yeah i'd love to love to talk a bit about them
1: yeah absolutely and and just to finish that last thought i think the epitome of what i've seen that from recently from that design methodology about you know a temporary is the qatar world cup stadium all built right. out of shipping containers, a massive structure huge biggest thing i've ever seen built out of shipping containers uh-huh. And designed to take it all apart when they're all done. Yeah. You know, think about that is a totally new mindset when it comes to building stadiums or building that kind of infrastructure. Having that temporary massive infrastructure is incredible. Yeah. At least smart design thought. But, Yeah, I mean, the Helios line is super exciting for us. It really stemmed from a project we were working with a local nonprofit here in Colorado about food distribution Uh and being able to distribute fresh produce to people in need. And we built a couple containers with with cold storage, basically cold Uh storage container and built that all out we don't use refrigerated containers or reefers or they're poorly constructed and and are not very durable so we we insulated and built out a standard shipping container for them and what they really struggled with was power i bet (laughs) yeah a lot of power (laughs) is needed to make stuff cold and so and keep it cold keep it cold and and they're doing you know farmers markets and these kind of remote community like here i want to give you guys a bunch of lettuces and produce and stuff that comes from these local farms. a beautiful you know non-profit and mission but tough from a deployment strategy standpoint we had to find sites that had a big power connection to it and that's and,
0: and, and you're using a perishable product so
1: right and yeah. so we looked at that and it's like okay how do we make this a solar powered? cold storage unit. And that went down a lot of research and realizing, whoa, this is a much bigger, difficult problem than we had realized. Solar power, the the amount of power and the kind of power the cold storage requires very extreme, heavy, you know, fluctuations of power draw. And solar doesn't like that. Solar likes your light bulb that's on the same small little bit, you know, it likes little, little power draws, not this huge, volatile... Mm-hmm you get with cold storage and so we were able to find an awesome team out of australia black technologies and they had spent decades working on this problem you know and basically just you know reached out to them and partnered with them and and developed you know they had already spent a lot of time working on this developing this so we basically teamed up with them and became their master manufacturer and distributor and partner in, in north america and so We work with them and they they have, you know, developed and we've kind of helped refine a solar powered refrigerator, a solar powered freezer, a solar powered ice maker, and then what we're calling a a renewable generator or power module deployable, deployable, you know, basically the arrays slide out the side and create this kind of deployable solar array that can power any number of things, right? Because you Um, need a
0: truckload of panels to create that much energy.
1: Well, for for certain things, for the cold storage Mm -hmm. we've developed and they've developed really, to be honest, a whole system and and it's very high tech and it's developed this, you know, proprietary technology around it, which allows a relatively small solar footprint to power, you know, a 20 shipping container worth of cold storage. Certainly, there's some variances.
0: Have you lost audio? Oh, I just lost audio there. They're
1: great in the summer up there, but probably not the best use case in the winter when there's no sunlight up in Alaska. But there's so many different use cases with this technology and with these units, whether it's disaster relief, as we pointed to earlier, yeah. that's where it really yeah. came from was response to a disaster. I believe it was a tsunami or earthquake in the Fiji area. And oh, they, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah and, one of the first things you need in a disaster response is power and keeping things cold without, you know, medicine kept cold, food, kept cold. You're you're talking about dysentery. A lot of, you know, things that happen, even, you know, it's kind of macabre to think about, but body, you need to keep that stuff cold. You need to handle disease. And the best way to do that, is people don't realize how important things cold is until you don't have it right until power goes out and you've had a disaster you don't have anything and so you know being able to respond with a solar power so you don't have to be you don't have to worry about the mm. grid cold storage and even these power modules that you can p- power you know a bunch of stuff as, as you respond to disasters are are super important and but i mean there's so many use cases for from you know events like burning man to, or yeah. you know last mile delivery, like, a you know, Amazon or something like that, delivering food and like these lockers could be solar powered. There's, there's a lot there to unpack. And we're excited about it. We're excited about the potential. You know, there's, there's everything from, from defense, military applications to, you know, supporting nonprofits that want to get food, healthy food into people's hands. And we've been able to you know, a lot of different agencies, whether it's USDA, like their farming program, it's a really keen thing for, for farming to, to projects in Africa where they're trying to develop these, you know, programs and systems for people. Cause what you're doing is you're allowing, when you look at production of, you know, food, the, the way you make the most money is picking that tomato and getting it as cold as possible, as fast as possible. Yes. And the life, the yeah. lifespan of the And so you've created a more value out of that tomato. So that's what we're trying to do is help, you know, really disrupt the cold chain a little bit. The cold chain is the most antiquated part of our whole supply chain. And it's the third largest consumption of power in the world. So the chain, the supply chain we have around keeping things cold, the cold chain is the third largest consumption of power. So we look at that as like, okay, well, let's (laughs) maybe we can just work. Yeah, uh, how, how can
0: we, we help,
1: work with that? Yeah, and how can we help? You know, address that issue, and you know, can we set these up in in the back of you know grocery stores or or different locations where you know fast food restaurants? Say, for yeah. example, have a walk-in cooler. Well, let's replace that with a with a solar powered walk-in cooler, and let's you know maybe help out there. So it's it's an exciting technology. We're really excited. It's kind of it's new. It's it's different. I like it's, it yeah it's a fun space to be in and your, sure.
0: your battery packet as well so it's given you know 24 7 like you know yeah. food protection stuff so yeah. it lasts
1: for, I think right now five days without the sun so it's got a five-day lifespan it's also connected to the internet so you can monitor your yeah, sure. your unit from a thousand miles away you can change the temperature but that's also really important for the data because a lot of these companies have you know, ESR, corporate social responsibility. Uh-huh. So you look at these big corporations where they're trying to show, they have to show whether it's for the shareholders or for whomever, the data around how I'm addressing greenhouse gas emissions or how I'm saving the environment, what I'm doing to cut down on my impact as an organization. And, and so with those data metrics, you're able to very clearly show I save this amount of carbon emissions because I have this unit deployed, you know, and that data can be really valuable for a big corporation like Coca-Cola or Walmart.
0: And and, and outside of that, even like whilst that data is really cool for that, it also means that (coughs) with your setup, people can take their own sense or point of responsibility themselves in life and Mm -hmm. have part of that setup as well. Like, you know, you can make a, a better choice as such by going, okay, well, we can do this as well right here at home. And you know, as individuals. Tell me about some, you know, of the really sort of like mind-blowing projects that either in scale or in tiny scale, big or, or small, that you guys have worked on. Some of the <laughs> I suppose some of the exciting ones, some of the yeah. the things that you go, oh wow, well, we never thought we'd pull this off because and you did.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, there's there's several of those. They they come across the desk regularly. I think the most recent one that really excited me was a, a solar-powered gigantic boombox that we did for Coca-Cola Corporation as like a marketing asset that has a rooftop deck and the whole sides unfold and the and it's got a solar array and it lights up and it, it really bumps music. And it's one of those units that you know, they came to me and really didn't give me a lot of direction. We we're just like, hey, I need a marketing unit and we like music. And that was the extent of the direction I got <laughs> from a gigantic corporation. And I was like, okay, I went to my design team Scotty, who came up with this amazing design, pitched it back to them and went up the ladder at Coca-Cola to the highest levels. And they came back and said, yes, this is awesome. We want to do this. And So that in, in and of itself is a hugely like proud Papa moment of like, wow, like, a big corporation like that is excited about our design loves it is and is going to pay us a good chunk of money to build this thing for them. yeah granted we only had they only gave us six weeks to build it which was insane that's really another
0: thing a big corporation will do <laughs> yeah
1: right but i was really proud of the team as well to be able to step up and produce that and produce the quality and of the unit that we did and you know it's been on tour for the last couple months going to baseball games and at football oh, game, cool. all yeah, kinds right. of games yeah right they love it and it's just affirmation that not only as a build firm but as a design and build mm-hmm. firm, both of those components of our business they really appreciated. And that was really affirming to the whole group of like that that feels really good, right? Of like a hundred percent. And also
0: you're you're meeting somebody else's brand values as well. So like in the design sense of it, like yes, there's the design of the container and how it works and what it does. But then you're also going a level deeper and you're going into their actual design the culture of their firm and going this matches the culture of where they need to be or where they are rather than where right. they need to be. And so right. otherwise yeah. they wouldn't approve it. They'd be like, yeah. you'd be five, five and a half weeks in going, right. we've, got, we've got three days to build this guy. Somebody's got to sign off. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, to your point, like, yeah, we, we did a lot of research and we understood what they were really excited about sustainability being a big core mm-hmm. core initiative for Coca-Cola. And so, we wanted to make that unit solar powered and you know highlight that you know, initiative. So it's not only an upcycled shipping container, but it's a solar powered upcycled thing. I yeah, really, really driving home that sustainability initiative around Coca Cola. And then we did another thing that was really cool. We made it interchangeable branding assets. So we we made it in a. Designed it in a way that you know Coca-Cola owns a lot of brands. Oh right? yeah.
0: So yeah. It could, could be a, it could be a water it, brand or it could be Coca-Cola. Smart water, Cola. It
1: could be yeah. a thing, you know, whatever the million brands they own. They can reskin it in whatever brand they want to highlight. So that but thinking about that and thinking through that and proposing that, they just were able to take that and you know, extrapolate that across multiple different brands, budgets, right? Yes. And the, Justify that it's like oh well yeah shit it's we can oh, yeah, take nothing. some from this budget this yeah, budget we can, this yeah, budget yeah, we can- yeah so right my budget went up because of that design mentality that we thought through of like okay this is not just this is a Coca Cola company yes. this is not Coca Cola the, uh, the drink the one
0: drink yeah
1: yeah yeah, yeah. so that was really smart that the team thought through that and presented that to them. Cause they didn't think about that. They didn't oh. come to us with that design requirement. That was something that Scotty came up with. And I was like, wow, of course. Yes. What a brilliant idea. And so what's reskinning it?
0: How do you do that? Like what happens to reskin it? Like, is it a,
1: We've designed it in a way that has this track system called SEG, which is like a vinyl or like a fabric um, uh-huh. you know you just yep. print on. Yeah. Pretty
0: like cool. the side of a truck or like that truck siding kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, kind of. Yeah. yeah, and so it's you know you just put it up, and we we have a template, and they just call me and are like, "Hey, I need a I need a new skin for football season tour," and we just print the way it. And it, goes. it goes. Yeah, it goes and goes. So that's that one really was cool. cool. Really, from a design build standpoint, Uh I I love that story of that one. It's Um,
0: it's small size, so it's you know obviously it's truckable. Do they lift it on and off a truck, or do they just leave it on a truck?
1: It's on a trailer. It lives on a trailer. Lives on a trailer. Pretty much permanently. It gets pulled by a truck and goes around to different. Like a very noisy
0: tiny home. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah, Yeah, definitely. And it's got a rooftop deck. It's got a whole thing. It's it's a very engaging. You know. Yeah. Experiential marketing it's all about experience right and it's one of those things and this shows up somewhere everybody comes and sees everybody knows it's, it's there it. yeah it's making noise lights up it's all things so it's how definitely do they, how do they get before. to the
0: roof like how do you get to the roof on it
1: yeah so we designed it in a way that's all collapsible it's like a transformer in a lot of ways yeah right the road it's all folded up it looks like a shipping container it kind of looks like a boom box on one side obviously with all yep. the things we put on there but yeah, when it gets to the side, it you know, the side folds up, the side folds down, same with the back, and then the railings on the top all Flip fold up. up, and there's a yep. staircase, and, it, and it's a whole thing to get it in, but it only takes like 30 minutes to set up, and then you're, you know, jamming. So Take longer to uh, set up a tent. Well, yeah, you know, the Papa <laughs> tent and the core guy is still struggling in the wind to get it all put up, and we're over here jamming out. You know, exactly, so exactly. So. It worked out great for cool. them. And I mean, that's one example. I mean, the, the I could name so many. I think, you know, another one that is really exciting to me is we're about to build a 5,000 square foot, basically retail facility for a Native American tribe here in, it's in Washington state actually. Yeah. And that from a design standpoint, really cool. It's got a, it's got a lever. talking about building, putting 25 containers together. So going back to that conversation about twenty yeah. you met, construction and modular construction and thinking through, you know, there's a lot of intent around the design and how you build it at a facility in these different modules and then bring those together at a site that's 5,000 miles away, you really got to think through all the permutations of of all the issues that come come up and, you know, all how. Just being able to
0: truck it into sites and just being able to get across bridges or whatever it is. Yeah.
1: All that stuff. But I mean, it's coming together this way, but it's also coming together in this way. Yeah. You have to understand all the dimensions and how all these modules interact with each other. And that, in and of itself, is a very difficult design challenge. And then, carries to the fabrication component of it where our design and fabrication teams are simpatico, right? We have to be. And percent really make sure that these, you know, modules come together how, they, how they're modeled and, and should be. So it's a fun challenge. We love it. But it, it's a little bit different when you're talking about you know, putting one on, on a site versus putting 25 together. It's a totally different, you got to think about it a little bit differently for sure.
0: Yeah, just the logistics of moving any number of things like that. And mm-hmm. do you usually use a, a high top container? Is that, is that yeah, the most common module? A, the
1: majority of the time we're using high cube, which is a nine foot six inch tall exterior yeah. dimension, obviously interior we're building yeah. out, so we're using some of that. But because of that, because of that losing out, and we're already cognizant of the fact that it is a box. Yes. You don't yeah. want it to feel like a box. And so the more height, head height we can get, the less boxy it yeah. feels. So the less, yeah. I'd say 95% of the units we use are high cubes. Some, some other 40 foot, we only use high cubes, but some 20 footers standards are. Are, are fine, but yeah, the, the majority of them, we want that extra foot of height for sure.
0: It's Yeah, it was one of those things that you, know, you constantly go, okay, so there's this extra bit of height, but you'll use that extra bit of height normally with, as you say, insulation, lighting, you know, all those kinds of things, Yeah, being able to change flooring out, stuff like that. You'll use up some of it, but you get that.
2: Yeah.
0: I've, I've often wondered, why do they make two different height containers? Obviously there's a shipping, yeah, metric that says you can fit X number of one height on the ship and an X number of another height on the ship. But what's the percentages around the globe of, of high cube or, or regular?
1: Well, that's a great question. I don't know that off the top of my head. I think it's it definitely leans more towards high cube on the, on the 40 foot side, but on the 20 foot side, right. 20 foot high cubes are much more rare than 20 foot standards. And as you alluded to, it's a lot has to do with the shipping components of it. And just kind of the standard has been set. You know, the shipping container was invented in 1955, and it's so, it's a relatively new invention as far as our. You know, history of our life before that it was all different kinds of boxes and different sizes, and in- right, inefficient. Ine- yeah. So, what Malcolm did when he invented the shipping container is he just created the most efficient ways to ship things across the world by standardizing it. So, um, but who, the- who invented it? Who, who was uh, the inventor? Last name, I can't remember his last name. His first name is Malcolm. I, I want to say his last name, especially with the M. I can't remember. The yeah. of my head. And was Ooh. he an American or yeah, American guy? And the 55, I think, is when he invented it. And then it became, you know, standardized across the board. But even then, us Americans, just you know, we got a 45-foot container, a 53-foot container, some, you know, weird-ass shapes that only us Americans use because we are got to be difficult and different. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, hey, but it's your
0: invention. Everybody else has yeah, made uh, it you know, to need to it, get into it, step.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, but it's interesting. We've seen a totally different shift in the industry from – And it really stems from this concept around, okay, keeping shipping containers in service, what's called. So like Mm -hmm. right now, there's been a shift away from having containers come to the U.S. or wherever and then go back. And then because we used to send all of our garbage to China, we used to send all of our garbage and recycling over to China. So they would send us the shirt or whatever crap that we ordered from China, we would send back their garbage. China is no longer accepting our garbage. And so now we've seen the shift in the shipping container industry, a lot more one-trip shipping containers are being produced because they're just sending them over and then selling. So in the past, we would send it over and then send the container back and send it over and back and over and back. So you'd have 10, 15 year old used containers. Now I, I bet in the next 10, 15 years, we won't even see a, a market of used containers out there, really. It'll be it's already going way, way down. We're just seeing a lot more one-time containers use. On the market. Yeah, because of that fact. Because we're not they're not you yeah. they don't want them to come back. They're just like sell them, get rid of them. it's just it's cost prohibitive to bring it back because they're not coming back full. Well,
0: yeah, unless it comes back full with some value yeah. in it.
1: Yeah, yeah, that'd so, be an
0: interesting conversation, won't it? Like in the next yeah. 10 years, like yeah. how much it changes because you've still got the production cost of a container um, mm-hmm. and you've still got all the steel, but then also you think that you, sh- you ship all that steel to say the US. So it comes yeah. out of China and it goes to the US and we probably sell them the iron ore from Australia or you know somewhere like that yeah. to build the shipping container to start with. And then that steel ends up in America. If what doesn't get used as a shipping container gets, it, these become like plastic bottles. It gets, but it's, it's totally recyclable. You can break down that steel again. You can re-melt it down. You know, you can take all that component remelt melt it down. It's, it's actually steel. There isn't much else in them. And then that in turn means that it goes back into another product in right. the US or somewhere else, Yeah, wherever they, they land. So, there must be yeah. a, you know, there must be like this chain effect of over, overuse. Otherwise, we'll end up, as I say, like, you know, with shipping container where lots where there'll be, you know, a thousand stacked all kind of yeah.
1: thing. Yeah, I think they're now, especially, they're, they're being much more adopted in it as a building material. Mm-hmm. But it just certainly goes in that conversation around sustainability, right? People always say, well, it's not sustainable. You know, if mm-hmm. you're taking a new container and, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, well, we can't forget that the second r of the three r's is reuse uh-huh. right so just because it, it you know it's not as sustainable as a 15 year old box that's been on the ocean for 15 years and the reason why we can't use those because structural integrity is totally compromised we have no way of knowing if that thing is right you know usable from a safe structural standpoint you know we can assume and sure put it in my i'll, I'll pull it in my backyard because i'm i'm 100 sure that thing's not gonna collapse but yeah. Building department official is going to be like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't – that thing – I can't trust that thing at all. But the you know, standards could be so varied. Yeah, because yeah. – well, because it's on – there's there's unknown variables, right? Yeah. It's got a big dent on the side because it's been on the ocean 15. got yeah. hit by a forklift. Who knows what it did to the top rail or to the bottom or yeah. to the – under, you know, bracing, like, you know, you don't know. And yeah. so because of that, they say, well, you can only use these one-trip containers. But my my mentality around that, because I'm huge on sustainable development, mm-hmm. that's what brought into this business was, you know, looking at these like steel Legos and seeing how we can repurpose and reuse these things. At the heart, we are doing that, right? We are upcycling this thing had, had a different use case, a different intention. 100%. That, yep. that thing and making something else out of that. And I feel really good about the sustainability conversation around that. And then you go back into the whole durability conversation around sustainability. To me, sustainability is not only reusing, recycling, all that stuff, but it's building with materials that's going to last a lot longer. 100%.
0: Other
1: materials, right? That's a more sustainable build. Mm-hmm. Same with software construction, way more efficient than doing a stick and brick building up from the ground up. I, I have very yep. little waste in my manufacturing production process versus a traditional construction project. So those are all things that we're, you know... You're we've very changed. over.
0: You're on, yeah. on all those points. With that saying about the waste, like, so you cut the side out of a container and that steel that's cut out either gets repurposed, I'm guessing, or goes to scrap metal
1: mm-hmm.
0: and yeah. gets melted down and...
1: Yeah, yeah. It's either or else. I made a desk out of one. You know, there's all that yeah, right. Items. You can, you with that cut out core 10 steel, it's core 10 steel, which is a a valuable, as you do, it's a valuable, it's kind of a rare steel alloy or composite. It's not, you know, a standard kind of steel thing. And it's got a different durability quality. You'll notice when you look at shipping containers, they look kind of rusted, right? Or kind of used. And that's a a quality of core 10 steel that it creates kind of a scab, right? If you think about it that way, right? And it's designed to create that rust barrier but it's not rusting through yes it's just a surface thing thing. i didn't actually
0: realize that all shipping containers were made out of core 10 It's a really good point you know core 10 is seen often as an architectural steel because we'll use it to you know create screens or clad pieces of building because it does rust and the patina on it's beautiful but it doesn't rust through so if you think of every container um, you could probably just sandblast the any paint off the outside of it and you can have it just blend in with a rusted landscape they're especially good for desert you know or even in the bush these sort of like that's it, it blends with your environment it's good really good learning for me that they're actually made out of core 10.
1: yeah my favorite paint job we ever yep. did on a project was for a really fancy bar that we it was coolest delivery we got to crane it in like 15 stories and like drop it into the middle of this courtyard it was like six stories awesome. up it was when I recorded it, it was super cool but what they had us do was like you said sandblast off all the paint we introduced the muriatic acid solution let it kind of rust i remember the day we came in the next day and it was like all green we thought we had ruined it it was a big freak out amongst <laughs> all of us like oh my god like You'd already spent a really good amount of money modifying this container, making it really cool. Now you're going, Oh, what do we do now? <laughs> I think we going to put this stuff on here. And it's like, Oh no, like we ruined it. And, you know, it took another day, or I think it was two more days. And it finally got to that really beautiful patina yeah. rust color that we were going for and the client was going for. Wash that off, you know, put some clear coat on it, rest of that process. And man, it looks so cool. It looks beautiful. That's so
0: neat. It's so yeah,
1: but, but other than that you know yeah i think some people really like that aesthetic other people don't you know and they want it to be yeah like, hey yeah
0: like black, that, that, whatever that, color. paint it then paint yeah, it you know like you, your, you've got choices yeah yeah and
1: then maintain it like you would your car and yeah. car paint yeah scratch it touch that up a little bit and be cognizant yeah. of it you yeah know, or it will create a little rust patch but it won't rust through It'll i love it
0: i love it Well, i've got a i've got a last question for you this has been fascinating i've Really enjoyed it, and I hope people listening have really enjoyed it. I will encourage everybody who's listening to write into us and ask us more stories about containers, so that we can hook you up with you know Rocksbox, and in doing that, be able to you know expand your knowledge on it. Obviously, we're going to post all your socials and stuff, but I've got yeah. a question, which is because clearly you are passionate about containers. There's <laughs> like, I love it. Yeah. yeah my question is if you had to create one special container just for yourself and it could be more than one it could be a project but it's for you personally
1: mm-hmm.
0: what would you create and where would you want it that alaskan oh, thing's man. gonna come in yeah, here somewhere <laughs> man,
1: all, I mean, Like i want like a ski and ski out like you know thing i'm a huge skier and huge whitewater rafting guy. So it would probably be something around that. But I think the project that excites me the most that I've spent time on, it's like my moonshot idea is a concept that I call agile living. And it's really thinking about living in a way that's more comparable to having boats with marinas, and so you think about constructing an exoskeleton skyrise in Christchurch where your shipping container is your boat or your module that would slide into that marina. And whether that's slopeside in Vail, Colorado, or, or on the beach somewhere, you know, in Mexico, basically you're not tied to the land, you're tied to your, your module and you can move into these different locations, you know? So you're so more almost active.
0: like having an apartment that's, a- a a truckable apartment
1: exactly and and you go
0: i'm going to you know colorado i'm gonna i've got space here and maybe there's more there's multiple apartments in these things and it's like a timeshare kind of thing
1: right right exactly yeah it's more of like the the evolved mentality around like an rv park or a mobile home like you're taking that mentality or and evolving that to more of an elevated experience and concept where you know you're not living in an rv park you know Agile i don't living. want to do that you know what i mean so Edge, but it's, i love that it's That's so cool. concept. i don't i've I've known people that have tried to do it and have failed i don't it takes a lot of cap, capital to build all those you know structures and yeah you almost have at least two right to really make it make make sense need but, to be able to take it from the lake to the, right, to the mountains right. to so, wherever yeah. I think it kind of changes the mentality around residential and and what that might look like from a because I think about big picture long term, you know, how can we think about residential and living in a different concept where we, you know, with population the way it's going? How can we develop different, you know, lines of thinking that might, you know, help solve some of those Mm -hmm. population issues or climate change issues or all those issues that are paramount to our society, you know? Yeah. How can you think of things differently? So those are the things that excite me. The things that are innovative, that come from a different lens. I mean, the Helio stuff is really exciting to me. But you know, yeah, building boom boxes and building, you know, affordable housing and all those things are really cool and or and or really important. Yeah, that uh, fun
0: that that you know, like there's a there's elements of fun, there's elements of need, there's all these different areas in it. Right.
1: And then I would look at like you know, desalination containers, like how important do we think, you know, Boy. having the modules and you know, I I I could argue maybe we have wars over water in the next 10 years. And so what can we do from a standpoint for modular whether containerized or not to address this this water concern i don't know i've seen desalination containers are incredible i've seen atmospheric water generators that are built in a container you're generating oh, wow. water from the atmosphere which i'm like what yeah. like, how is yeah. that even the thing but yeah. people are doing that and that's really exciting so the things that excite me are people that come to me with their products right and they're uh-huh. Just so happens to be in a container and I get to work with them to develop and, and, and then think about how we build this at scale. So it's what I call a contract manufacturing relationship where, yeah, come to me, I'm, I'm building your thing for you. And, yeah. and that, that I love dealing with those kind of clients and people, cause I'm helping bring their innovation to market and bringing their but, thing that they developed and it's and it's fascinating what kind of crazy ideas i said a dog food vending machine across yeah, my desk right. I'm like, oh, okay sure let's let's, let's, look, at let's but, look at
0: that But as being that manufacturer for for this process it is pretty interesting that you can you know assist somebody else to get there but your design team and your knowledge is like right. paramount to getting that to to come across the line like, um, right, They
1: came to me with something. I'm like, well, have you thought about this? Because we've yeah. done it this way. And this is a much more effective way to do it, both from a first one, but also to produce a hundred of these, because that's what I got to think about is manufacturing at scale for something like that. And what's yeah. the most efficient to do that? So that's where we get excited about working with those guys of like, okay, great idea. Let's bring in my team to evolve that to make sure it's it's dialed in from both the cost and, and the ease of build standpoint. So yeah. Cool stuff, man. People are crazy I love crazy ideas. People are so innovative in this in this world <sighs> you know, all over the world. And I think what I've seen people building stuff out of shipping containers, like you look at Haiti, right? Haiti yeah. is struggling, right? And they're building stuff out of shipping containers out of pure need. Christchurch, same thing. It was yeah. it was a struggle thing. And they saw this thing, and they said, Hey, I'm gonna build something out of that because that's a good starting point. And those those projects get me jazzed, right? Of like, wow, you did it out of need and you innovated it yourself. You're not a welder, you're not a you're struggling to get by and you use this steel box to create a house or a little thing wherever it was in your community. I mean, that you can't applaud that enough, right?
0: No, I'm with you. I, I I so agree. Like, and the other thing with it is is that what I do love and the the point that you made was is if it if it, is something that's transportable it means it doesn't have to permanently be fixed there so as you know say their economy shifts and say their needs shift and all the rest these things still have got high value they can be moved to some other space you know like it's you don't have to knock it down to build to rebuild it you can take it with or shift it you know and or that makes a
1: so huge sustainability yeah you know? exactly and yeah like, hey, I'm i'm done i'm moving on i'm selling yeah. this guy I've resold three or four of our containers for different clients that have just said, Hey, I'm, I'm moving on. Can you help me? And I'll say, yeah, no problem.
0: Yeah. I love that. Yeah, Devin, That was fascinating, man. And it is so exciting to meet somebody who is so passionate about what they do and what they, you know, what they're aiming for with what they do as well. Like it's such a, it, it's a big mission that you've really got and, you know, keeping all the the moving parts together that make it possible and then exploring the innovation side of it. And as you said, you know, clients bring you innovation as yeah. well. And then you're pushing to how do we integrate it? How do we make it work and what happens from there? That was absolutely fascinating. And I'm I'm up for this sort of, you know, ski in, ski out, unplug it, right. shift it. Yeah. Like I'm yeah. just taking the container to for this season, you know, like, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. Just it's just going on a truck. Along with a few yeah. others that you know, other people are moving, and
1: yeah, I can imagine yeah, no. a
0: community like that. It'd be kind of cool.
1: Cool, right? It'd be yeah. interesting. You know, I, in the end, I'm I'm very grateful. and am very humble. I'm I'm proud of my team. You know, Anthony and I, you know, starting in a dirt lot, and now we got you know 38 employees and, and a couple different facilities, and that's just a testament of you know the innovation out there and the team and the demand. Let Let's be real. Like this yeah. is an important thing that is is growing and now it's kind of solidified before it was kind of a novelty to be, be be honest about that it was yeah really a mainstream thing and but now we're seeing a lot more container parks and container developments and multi-families and really seeing this instead of an obscure like oh wow you're really cool you built this crazy thing out of shipping containers of like no i'm just a regular developer and this makes economical sense to do it this way yeah, and exactly. Really it, it means to me. me. It's yeah, like more mainstream. It's like okay, this is becoming a more adopted and accepted building material, other than mm-hmm. this cool thing on TV that I saw. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It.
0: Some some brand designs house or yeah, something right.
1: like, like that. Sure. Yeah. Like, yeah. let's not discount that, but let's also recognize and 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 lift up how cool it is that quote unquote normal people are choosing this building material and option versus other more traditional techniques. It,
0: I, I certainly love the the thought of that as well. Like, I, And I love the fact of, you know, like you were saying earlier, food and beverage spaces, things like that, and how those can be repurposed and they don't end up stuck in a space. I, I mean, I go to Austin, Texas fairly regularly and you look at a, a place like Rainy Street and you think so you could have run all your food and beverage out of a container there. And mm-hmm. if that needs upgrading, you just upgrade the container. You don't have to lose a month where you close it down or anything else. You unplug one container, put a new container in, and away you go again that probably overnight. you know it's just hooking yeah. up hooking up services, and you go high sustainability, refit the other container to what it needs to be, and then on it goes to somebody else it's I love that kind of mentality of the the big Lego block, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. cool that's cool yeah. man appreciate it really appreciate it really like appreciate your time and your knowledge like and your passion for what you're doing it's fantastic let's see uh, what kind of comments we get from listeners i've learned a lot and i'm excited to look into uh, what you're doing with the helios as well i think that's really yeah
1: cool. I-, I appreciate you thanks for reaching out and having having us on and me on personally it's As you said, I'm very passionate about it, and it's just cool, man. It's fun stuff. It is really fun, really fun. And, uh, yeah, if anybody has any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out. We love sharing what we do with the fun things. For
0: sure, man. Thank you. Take care. All right. Cheers. Cheers, buddy.
2: Richard's Magic Arrows is brought to you by the Architect Marketing Institute. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. Now, I know fee pressure is one of the biggest things facing designers. It doesn't matter what level you're at. There is no one golden bullet for it. Uh, If it was, it was probably select the right type of clients. But if you're in a situation where you're being pressured on fees, I'm going to give you a way of dealing with it. And it's by asking, say, three questions. And this is called takeaway selling. So this is where you kind of offer something up and then you take it away and see if they follow you. It's almost like imagine if you had some hot ch- chocolate cookies and you had a plate full of them. You put them in front of someone and then they went to reach out and then you you pulled it away and you see if they get up and follow you. It's that type of thing. So this is called takeaway selling. So the first question you ask, you say, well, why don't you just leave the situation as it is? Why, why make the change? That's an unusual thing for a designer to say. Well, why not just leave it as it is? And see how they answer. And then you might say, why did you want to speak to me? Why did you not get someone else? And see if they follow you, see if they answer properly. And the third question would be, well, why not do it later? Now, by asking these negative questions, you're going to get a lot more information out of someone than by trying to convince them to do it. Because by pulling the plate of hot cookies away, they're either going to react or they're not. And if they do react and give you answers and explain why it's important, then what they're doing is telling you how important something is. Now while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will.